everybody. Welcome to Anything Can Be a Podcast. Podcast, a totally improvised stand-up comedy show uh, right here in a weird, dank room uh, at the 2017 Edinburgh Fringe. We have people that have come back for the second time. <laughs> they walked in and specifically said, we want to see if it's improvised. <laughs> Which is, is sort of a compliment. <laughs> that last time it seemed so rehearsed <laughs> that they wanted to see if it's fucking made up. It is made up on this. Which show were you at? Uh, um, Atomic Fart. Atomic Fart. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and was that one where there was a sketchy guy right there? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Was that two days ago? Yesterday? Okay. It's all fucking blending in. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a big day. I, uh, I, I had an awesome taxi experience. It's fucking great. Cabs in Edinburgh. Uh, Scotland in general. Glasgow, great. Because they will always be like, saw a man die there. And it was fun. <laughs> Like, every time, and it's never criminal. It's like, well, what happened? He's like, heart attack. And you're like, ah. <laughs> you strike again, Scotland. Um, but this is the thing. So I don't just make my luxurious living gathering people in an odd classroom with the weirdest snuff film lighting we could find. Um, I also do voiceover for commercials, which, as a job, is the best. <laughs> You're it's, it's the same anywhere you go in the world. You stand in a recording booth, and then a guy with a goatee ponytail every fucking time <laughs> is at the sound desk. And he will then give you the copy. It's always for some... It's very unethical. I'm someone that I very much prescribe to try and be uh, vegan as best I can, mostly vegetarian. Occasionally, I'm like, do you have bacon? Yeah. I want you to bring all of it. <laughs> And then I want you to put a sheet around this booth and I'm going to eat it in a swift and ungodly weird manner. Um, but I try to be ethical. But you do voiceover things for things I cannot, like, I cannot back it up. But I am a whore. If you match my price, which is shockingly low, I will do it. Oh, this is a product. It gives AIDS to puppies. How much? Uh, that? Yeah, let's do it. I will do it right now. And so I had to go do a voiceover audition for... for is looking for... They wanted... I don't know if I'm supposed to say... Fuck it. Uh, they wanted an action movie announcer to announce some new big sandwich they have that's, that's really long. Because here's the thing is you're... I'm a comedian. I, I write comedy. And you're handed copy from uh, a copywriter who wanted to be a writer. I don't know if any of you have ever seen someone who works in advertising, but they all look like Hunter S. Thompson. They're all smoking, and they'll all tell you, I, I'm working on a novel. It's, a, uh, it's an interpretation of a, of, an, of a falcon on a road trip, and he takes angel dust and fights the devil who's a Mexican. And it's like just they're hard-boiled, overly fucking pretentious. They're that, or they're dudes who look like they've just invented, like, oh, my name's Keith, and I just invented a f an app for your phone that tells you if your phone is a phone. Like, they're those... <laughs> There's those two groups, and they're in there. And so the copy is always so overly painfully detailed in what they want to encompass because it's being given to them by someone who is very high up in And so he's like, it's the perfect double fuck you donut sandwich. It's the size of a man, and it has a Second Amendment right for a gun. It will fuck your wife. Like, like they, they want that. But they can't say it like that, so it's always like big words like, make sure you really hit the word long and you nail it. So it's like, the, the copy was like, this sandwich is so long, when you start eating it, you won't know when you're done. 
And it's like, you'll know when you're done. You're full of sandwich, and you're like, I'm, I'm done with this sandwich. Because again, it's from an American perspective. Now, America does embrace its gluttony. Europe, you guys more shy away from it. You're like, we're not gluttonous at all. Turn around. I don't... <laughs> I'm about to put a meal on chips, which doesn't count as a meal because it's on chips, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and so it was that. And it was out in, out in Leith. Now, I've never been to Leith in Edinburgh, and those of you visiting Edinburgh have been told, avoid Leith. It's dangerous. It's not da- There was like four posh cafes and a restaurant that was def- It was a two Michelin star restaurant. I have a friend. I used to work in the service industry and I have friends that are now like high level in the service industry who went to one of the things. It's called like the Watchman or something like that. It's like a two Michelin star restaurant. There's not a two Michelin star restaurant in a sketchy neighborhood. <laughs> and, it's, and it was like ridiculous. They're like, this is a dangerous neighborhood in Edinburgh. What's going to happen? Is someone going to mug me and then demand I dress better for my environment? <laughs> Yeah, give me all your money and then we're going to Zara. Like, <laughs> this is ludicrous. And so, I, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't like taking cabs. I think it's wasteful. I know it's a really fucking, I'm Generation Y and I'm everything that everyone hates about Generation Y. Like, I am a fucking do-gooder. I'm impressed when I do nothing. I look for praise. I will natter on about politics and I have no knowledge of it whatsoever. (laughs) That Jeremy Corbyn, he looks like he just escaped from an allotment and I have not read his policy, but I will blindly support him. Like, uh, I don't actually blindly support him. I find some of the things are a little unethical. Now, here's my problem with Jeremy Corbyn. He's totally allowed to be in favor of Brexit, but I'm not someone who is in favor of Brexit, so I would have appreciated if he was a bit more vocal about that stance throughout the entire process. Instead of three months afterwards, he kind of came out and went, I never wanted it to happen. And I understand that it was very politically unpopular for him to take a stance either way, but you know what? In these times, when you're the leader, you're supposed to do unpopular things and have your conviction. That's what the world needs, but he didn't fucking do it. And I keep seeing him biking around Finsbury Park where I live, and he wears shorts that are slightly too tight, and I don't know why but it drives me fucking crazy because i'm like i know how much you're making you can afford proper shorts there's a sports direct right the fuck there <laughs> anyway so i decided not to brave the bus out there i got an uber got in the uber i called the guy's name was paul or no it was richard coming in or going out it was richard and he looked and he just looked like a fucking like a an Edinburgh geezer in his photo, like just like the, the the newspaper boy cap and a hunting jacket, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna hear about the Tory party when I get in this cab, and I sit down, and it was my fault. I was I prejudged him. I did a thing that I hate that people do to me is I because people prejudge me. They look at me and go, oh, he's a jock and he likes football. I could fuck football. No, it's not me. I am a coffee-sipping theater-goer. Pardon me, you're doing a modern interpretation of Shakespeare? Well, I know I won't like it, but I will attend. And It's a contradiction to him. And I judged him. I got in the cab and as if the universe wanted to prove how wrong I was, the first thing out of his head was, oh, you seem like a well-written chap, or well-written, I'm not going to do Scott Jackson, but he went, you seem like a well-read man. What do you think about capitalism and how it's eating itself in the current climate? And I was like, what Uber have I just gotten into? <laughs> and we, we got stuck in traffic, and we had a 35-minute chat about macroeconomics, and it was just him talking in like the most intense, like working class, like just let me break it down for you. He explained the problem with the NHS currently and our certain dependence on pharmaceuticals because it's become a business as opposed to just something that serves. It was fucking fascinating, but made all the while better that he was throwing in cunt every once in a while. <laughs> he kept calling Teresa that pile in 10 Downing Street, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? 
And he dropped me off, and I was like, I'm going to do a voiceover audition. He turned around, and he went, have a good one. I like your voice. And I was like, fuck, I think you'd get the part, my man. <laughs> and I popped in. I always do this thing when I get out of an Uber, is I always go, I'll give you five stars if you give me five stars. And, uh, and he was like, mate, I'm giving you six. And I was like, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> As it turns out, by the way, you can do six stars. It's a secret feature of Uber that he explained to me. So if you do six stars, what you have to do is you hit five and you write in the comments, I want to give a sixth star. And then the driver gets a reward from Uber. Like he gets a, yeah, he gets a gas, like, uh, like a petrol certificate or he gets a money bonus or something like that. If you are a passenger and you get a six star, you get nothing <laughs> so i go in do the voiceover audition which we've already covered i come back out now i'm thinking there is no way my uber journey home i'm, I'm also very stressed uh, my girlfriend flew in from canada today she lives in canada i live in britain because why not why not date someone who lives in another continent there's no way that that's going to make you angry sometimes when you just want to fuck someone <laughs> wandering around the Edinburgh Fringe with that weird I'm in a relationship vibe so you suddenly think everyone's interested in you but it's just because they do not see you as a threat because you're in a relationship that's the I find it so I have a lot of friends who are in relationships and like long term marriage and they're like oh women they, they're always coming up to me and just talking to me and it's like yeah because they assume you're not going to cheat on your wife <laughs> so they don't look at you like the threatening straight man that single dudes are just breathing <sighs> You look like you're good for kissing. Um, genuinely heard it in an artist bar last year. A man say that to a woman, and she went, yuck. Oh. <laughs> Listen, all the shows you'll see at the festival, a lot of them will be good. Nothing is better. Going to the artist bar 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, your, your wife is a performer. I'm sure you've been dragged to, like, the abattoir or something like that. And you, Brooks Bar, oh, that's a good one, because there's a lot of young dudes in there who are getting, like, five stars from, like, toastershoes.org, and so they have, like, fucking the confidence of a man with a dick the size of Britain just wandering in there, gonna finger fuck a flyer in a disabled toilet, and you'll just see these fucking 21-year-old goobers trying to talk to other people, but they don't have game at all. Like, sir, how old are you? 59. Why do you say that with such regret? You're 59? I would have said 42. I would agree to it. Yeah. <laughs> Scotland strikes again. I don't know why we do a comedy festival. Is it 55? I just thought I'd destroy a number and just see what <laughs> Well played. So you're 59? No, 55. You are 55. Miss, how old is he? 55. He's 55. And, and I assume... This is 54. Yeah. And, and how, I assume you guys are married? You are married. How long have you been married? Too long. Too long. <laughs> no, what's the actual number? New number. New number? <laughs> no. New number? It's a scary number. It's, it, it's not a scary number. Do you under, scary. Brother, do you understand the divorce rates? If you're past 10 years, you're, you're in a fucking champion league of serious relationship. And you guys seem to fucking genuinely like each other. <laughs> And I've been around couples... It's a reward. That, pardon me? It's a reward for 10 years. Is it a reward for 10 years? What's the reward for 10 years? No, nah, neither do fucking I. I've never... <laughs> no fucking couple I know has made it 10 years. The magic number, it seems to be, is about seven for people that get married in their 20s. They get married seven years in, and then suddenly just one of them is just like, I'm fucking out of here. 
I had to go. I went to six weddings when I was 25, which really fucked up my head. We'll get to that Uber ride. It really fucked up my head because I went through like a midlife crisis at 25, thinking like, "Oh my God, what? Wait, um, like, it was, it, like, am I supposed to be an adult? Am I supposed to be getting married?" No, I hadn't figured fucking anything out. All of those relationships were so bad. Do you understand how many awkward dinners I had to have in a living room or a dining room of a house that these people could not afford the mortgage of as they tensely just cut into a tuna steak? Just, how was work today, honey? Fine. Seems fun here. Because as fun as a wedding is, I don't know if you've ever been to a divorce party, but I've been to two, and both of them were... Gross. <laughs> One of which we didn't get to uh, ever have a bachelor party. One of my friends, I'm not allowed to use his name anymore because I talked about his marriage last year and his wife listened to the podcast and they are getting divorced now. And not because of me. Uh, her, uh, m- he's my friend. He, I've known him since I was three years old. We went to Sunday school together. We we're very, very close. We were in bands together. We started a fight club briefly. <laughs> Here's what happened. We watched the movie Fight Club and thought we should do that. So we started a fight club in my in his basement, and his parents got wind of what we were doing because we weren't good at hiding. For those who don't know, a fight club is you get together and you beat the shit out of your friends. And we started it, and we're like, I had a black eye. My buddy David had like a gash like that over his forehead, and I keep almost saying his fuck it. His name's. His dad saw David walking up the stairs from his basement, just bleeding from the forehead, going to look for some paper towels. Like, and he's Chilean, and he just went, "What are you doing, David?" And and David was like, "We started a fight club in your basement." He went, "What? I'm calling your parents." And we had to have a meeting with all of our parents and all of us, as they were like, "Why did you start a fight club?" And we were like, "We saw the movie. It would be pretty fun." And then my mom watched the movie and was like, "That was not fun. A bunch of people died. Why did you do that?" Uh, anyway, so uh, uh, Bob's wife hates me. A lot of my friends' wives don't like me because my friends fuck me by I am the rebellious excuse. I come into Canada for a couple of weeks around Christmas and I'm their reason to get drunk in a shed for three weeks while they have to assemble presents. And so they build up resentment towards me and not their husbands, even though it's their husbands who are like, let's get Coke. And I was like, guys, like, yeah, but let's not... I, <laughs> And so it's that sort of thing and that sort of vibe. And they get very angry at me. And, and Bob's ex-wife got very angry at me. Because here's what happened. Uh, they were dating for about three months. And then Bob was in metal bands. And we all went to see a metal show. And then she was just stood in the back, arms crossed. She didn't really like metal. I totally understand that. I love heavy metal. I don't understand why we like it. It's the stupidest art form you can find. It's men just being stupid, singing about needless things. Just like Judas Priest is one of my favorite bands ever. They have an entire album called Turbo, which is about a robot from the future who came to 80s LA to fuck people. (laughs) There is no metaphor. There is no subtlety. That is why the album was made. Its best song, Turbo Lover, what do you think that's about? It's about him driving down the street looking to fuck people and then letting them know I'm their turbo lover. I like metal because it lacks metaphor. It is the opposite of Bob Dylan. That is thick, dense language composed over beautiful instrumentation. Heavy metal. What's this song called? Hammer fucking. What's it called? Fuck my hammer. Like there's just... It's perfect. So they go to a metal show. She didn't like it. She says, drive me home. They start driving. In the middle of it, she goes, actually drop me off here. He drops her off there, and she goes, you can't come in 
we are breaking up. Slammed the car door, went inside. He drove home. He really liked her. She was a beautiful girl. He was very, very excited about that. He was very sad that they had broken up. Now, I think what she did was she used him as a taxi service <laughs> to go have an affair, felt guilty about it in the last second and broke up, got some shenanigans taken care of. Three weeks later, came back into his life, said, let's get back together and let's get engaged. Now, all my other friends are pussies and went along with it. He called me and said, what should I do? And I said, you should ditch the bitch. She sucks. Now, is many things. A man with a spine, he certainly is not. So when they got back together, the first thing she asked him was, did any of your friends say anything bad about me? And he said, yes. John said, I should ditch the bitch. Putting it in an email was probably a miscalculation on my part. And she did not care for me. I was almost not invited to their wedding. My friend Paul had to stage a strike. He was the best man. And he found out the week of the wedding, I was not invited. And Bob was just like, well, you know, there's a lot of people. He's like, you've known him since he was three. He wasn't allowed to the wedding party. He said to me, he's like, you can't be in the wedding party because he just wants other people. Um, the genuine reason that he came up with a little while later, he's like, you're really tall, so it'll look weird if you're stood at the front of the church. And I was like, I think it'll look weird that we're all stood at the front of the church, even though none of us believe in God. That might be the weirdest part. This is not, not even true. He does believe in God. And so, um, so he didn't invite me to the wedding. Paul found out, and he staged a strike. So I eventually got invited to the wedding. It was a very cold ceremony. And then as soon as the wedding happened, I didn't hear from for eight years. They just shut down communication. I'd hear about him from other people. He would ask about me. I'd ask about him. I'd reach out. Maybe a little bit of a, hey, how are you? But nothing. I got a call from him when I was in Glasgow in March. And he called, and he was like, hey, how are you? And I was like, I'm good. How did you get this number? And he's like, I got it from Paul. I just thought I should tell you. Uh, uh, and I got added that too. And I just got a divorce. She really didn't like you, so I wasn't allowed to talk to you. And I said, I know. I can tell. What are you doing? He's like, I'm in a strip club by myself. I'm like, it's a Wednesday. And he was like, yeah. Being single's fun. All right, we'll tell this Uber story, and then we will start the show. <laughs> Those of you that saw the show already know that that is true. How are we doing for time? Ah, perfect. Already killed 20 minutes. <laughs> now, so I'm at the uh, voiceover audition. I come out of it. I get an Uber. Woman named Louise. Oh, I think we might have a competition for best Uber driver ever. She pulled up. You guys are Scottish. Scottish people, you do a certain type of folksy towny woman that is the bet they are like the ambassadors of scotland everything that scotland has ever done is the greatest thing and you genuinely believe it because of their enthusiasm she pulls up like a dukes of hazard in a like in a in a family van with kids car seats in it and goes oh are you john and i'm like yeah, I am, Louise. And she's like, I just dropped my kids off at the Nans, so can you get in the front? I'm sorry for the accent. I'm really sorry. It's just, that's how I do it. I know that's not what you guys sound like. I get in the front seat and we start driving. And I'm always resident to say I'm here for the festival because some Scottish people, Edinburgh people, hate that the festival, see, they want us all to leave. They wish the festival was us just showing up, giving them a thousand pounds, and then fucking off. Um... 
And we start driving, and, I, and she goes, oh, what are you here for? And I go, oh, I'm here for the festival. And she went, oh, the comedy festival? And I said, yes. And she went, oh, I won't ask you to tell me a joke, but if you could make me laugh, that would be fun. <laughs> and I, I'm good if there's a convention to it. You guys were gathered in a room, you're prepared to laugh. One-on-one, -on -one, it's very hard, unless you have, like, a joke book or you fart at the wrong time. It's hard to make someone laugh. But we just started chatting. And it turns out she had worked in oil and gas for 30 years. And then she goes, I just got frustrated with the way they treat the earth. And I was like, it took you 30 years to figure that out, Louise? She's like, no, I just drive Uber and it's really fun. Like, sometimes I just don't want to work. So I'll, I'll just drop someone off and I'll just park the car. And I was like, really depends on where you drop them off, but that's fine. <laughs> And then we still drive along, and my girlfriend was coming in. Now, my girlfriend uh, lives in Canada, as I covered before. Now, she called me or texted me yesterday. Her flight was at 9 a.m. to go from Montreal to Toronto, and then she had an eight-hour uh, eight layover in Toronto, and then she would fly here through the night and arrive in Edinburgh for the festival. She called me at 10 o'clock. All the flights are super delayed. Uh, Canada, it's a long weekend. Canada does this thing during the summer because we have a very oppressive winter where the government will just go, ah, bank holiday today. Why? Shut up. Like, that's what... <laughs> Like it's really, it's, it's literally used as a political tool by politicians as a way to get more votes to the point that a party last, or a mayor of Toronto, which is our largest city, put an end to one of the holidays because he's like, literally every month for five months, there's a day where no one's working. It's affecting the economy. Fuck you. You're working every day of February. You are adults after all. And he lost a lot of support. Everyone was like, no, fuck you. I want to sleep in on a Monday. <laughs> the holiday he did away with was called Family Day. And it was right after Valentine's Day, which is just a fuck you to a single person. Just, oh, you're alone on Valentine's Day and you haven't made anybody. <laughs> And so it was, as it turned out, it was a, a bank holiday uh, Monday. And uh, so um, she didn't know that because it just sprung. And so she was like, oh, God, all the flights are... Her brother is an airplane mechanic, which, by the way, is not a job I ever want to hear about. I assume all the planes work all of the time. <laughs> and so she flies standby. Um, and so she got there and they're like, you are not getting on a flight today at all. We're going to have problems getting crews to Toronto. You're not going to have it. Have it. My, or it's not going to happen. My girlfriend's a logistical person. She runs venues. She's very smart. So she quickly hires a ride share. I don't know if you have these in Europe. It's a really scary thing, which is you put on the internet, I want to go here. Anyone driving there. It's like Uber, but definitely with serial killers. <laughs> Um, I want to go here, anyone driving there, and then just a dude goes, I am. <laughs> and you give him money, and you hopefully get to your destination unmurdered. <laughs> if he murders you, you don't have to pay. It's a fine system. <laughs> so she gets in, she gets in. Now, because the universe sometimes things need to be fucking stressful, there was massive pileup on the highway. No one knows why. It's Canada. Canada's not like Europe. You guys are intrepid drivers. What's the surface road speed in London? 50 miles an hour. Why? There's children. Yeah. And if in the road, they're going to die. <laughs> it's madness. But Canada, and so there was a, a pileup. So a drive should have taken her five hours. Lots of time to get to the airport. Took eight and a half hours. She is 50 minutes before her international flight. She is not in the city where the airport she needs to be is. She's in the next city over. And all I get is a text going, I've hired a limousine. If you don't hear from me, I will be in Europe. If you do, we'll be crying. <laughs>
I then go and do a gig. Wasn't in the best head frame for a gig. There was a woman there named who said, um, and you think you will be successful one day as a heckle. And I was quite rude to her. She deserved it up to a point. When I was praying for her family to die in front of me in a fire, I felt I reached a point of no return. <laughs> it was like this, only way more tense. And, and so I, uh, I go and do it. She would have that she hired a limo and gave him an extra $40 to take the express highway that runs over the top of Toronto that is an extra $20 to use. He did that. He broke, a, he broke the speed limit, got there. She got to the airport with 36 minutes before her flight departed. She hasn't checked in. She runs over, checks in. They're like, okay, we have it here in our computer. They may not have it, so you have to run. This... I am a straight white male. I have privilege. I will not argue it. It absolutely exists. If I run up flustered to a security guard, they will not assist me. If a flustered woman does, you will get a subtle amount of, uh, of help. As long as it's not an actual crime, it's just a subtle inconvenience. That's where privilege kicks in, obviously. She ran up to a security guard and said, can I make it through? And he said, probably not, but the, um, it's, a, it's a little quiet. I'll radio ahead, maybe get you through. He radioed ahead, she got through, ran to the gate. They were literally like closing the door, saw her. She threw the ticket, got on the plane, <laughs> and flew here. So I get out of the Uber with Louise, and my girlfriend had just rolled up with a rolly bag, just covered in this, all the anxiety of travel, just shaking like a little deer in the rain, just, hi. And, and I kissed her, and Louise went, ooh, you're in love. As always, Scotland, you've captured my heart. Now, um, all right, what are we? Oh, yeah, half an hour in. Let's start the show. What do you say? Uh, what is your name, sir? Josh, how are you, Josh? Very good. Now, Josh, do you mind just taking a title out of there, and that will title the episode? Don't read it yet. Oh, very good. Now, sorry, I know we got your name before, but I forgot it. What is your name? Kevin. Kevin? Very good, Kevin. Now, Kevin, how would you like Josh to read the title, any way possible? I would think maybe a sexy thing, and it to the to the woman of his dreams. Ooh. So you're, it's a sexy sort of lilt to the woman of your dreams. You can stand up if you want. You can do it sitting down. How do you want to do it? Top hang on, hang on. Oh, yeah, but sexy like. Okay, let me try. Hang on. I, Buddy, I know you're going to do it. I already like your sexy face, by the way. <laughs> just that tight chin. Just, mmm, you're going to get it. <laughs> top knots or not top knots. A top knot should look into modern day hairstyles and what they mean to the modern day dog. <laughs> Spectacular. Thank you. What they mean to the modern day dog. All of these were written by my girlfriend and she's really tried to fuck me up a couple of times. Uh, top knots, we're all familiar with the top knots. Do you know what the top knot is, Kevin? Explain. Tom Knot is, it's a new style of ponytail a la a samurai, where it's sort of all tucked in right here. It's usually worn by like a dude you think you would see hanging around the porta potties at a music festival trying to sell you weed. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, see that? That's a man who has a daughter and he's seen people like that trying to talk to her and he is not happy about it. Right? Yeah. See? I... 
I have a weird relationship with the top knot in that I think there's people that can carry it off and there's people that can't. The people that can usually, and this is a very stereotypical hipster statement, and I am a hipster. I'm wearing a weirdly pink striped shirt, and I have set back espresso more times than I want to count. And, but there is a look of that. There's like a guy who looks like he's a bass player for a band that's needless. We're the parrots, and we don't play the instruments with our hands. We command them to play with our feet. Like that, <laughs> that kind of vibe, like the kind of dude that never has a place to stay, but always has a place to stay. Um, a friend of mine named Vincenzo, he went on a tour of Europe just backpacking and he didn't book a hostel. He just used Tinder like a fucking hotels.com. <laughs> he has a top knot. It works perfectly for him. If I had a top knot, let's all imagine what that would look like. It would look like I was trying to smuggle diamonds out of a party. Like there's just, and I have terrible hair. It's very, it's thick, but like a dog's mange. Like you guys can all style it. You guys can put it in cool looks. Like you've got a nice sort of quiffy, I'm a weatherman, but I don't give a fuck kind of look. You have a nice sort of professorial kind of whoosh. Like, and you, Kevin, have that nice sort of like, I could be a farmer or I could be a man who owns a company. You'll never know. Could be a mind that doesn't know what a Yeah. <laughs> but you see, but it looks like it's perfect. Like, that looks so intentional. Like, you just sort of woke up and you're like, ready. <laughs> like, this, this is all I can do with my hair is I shave myself nearly bald and it grows to this. And I have two weeks where it's fine. Then it begins to curl, not everywhere like you, but just enough that it looks like I'm insane. <laughs> like, like, in. Uh, Britain, not so much, but in the summer months in Canada, yeah, see what I'm talking about? Um, in the summer months in Canada, I used to have to just keep my hair really, 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 really tight because it would get so knotted and gross. It would have a smell and it would create like a pressure on my skull. So I'd be walking around like I was wearing a fur hat. It was a nightmare. And I find hair very interesting. It's the one thing where we all universally judge each other on and, and will criticize, but it's the one thing that you have certain hair for your faces. I think all of you are doing very well. You've all figured out what your look is to look like right. There is nothing worse than when someone tries a haircut and it goes rogue. I learned this my first week in London. I was walking through Camden in the last days of Camden Market being like, you want some mushrooms? You want to fuck a Bible? Five quid, same shop. Like the last days of it just being this dirty, grotty sort of where punk rockers go to buy a jacket kind of place. And now it's like, it's just white people drinking coffee. And I say that because I'm one of those white people being like, you call this espresso? I would like to talk to the manager. Like, <laughs> And that's what it's become. And I'm not, I'm not against the evolution of neighborhoods. I think it's important. I think Edinburgh is, is experiencing it right now. Nicholson Street was not like that a year ago. Before it was burned out buildings, weird shops set up just for the festival. Like if it was last year, like every third shop would be selling fidget spinners needlessly. Also, how did a fidget spinner go from something that didn't exist to one Saturday, they were just everywhere? It's like Justin Bieber. There was a day in February of 2010 where Justin Bieber was a boy from Stratford, Ontario that no one knew. And then the next day, he was the most famous man in the world. We all, I didn't know who he was. I thought he was just a TV star that I hadn't, and then it was like, no, he's a singer. And I was like, he's a child. I don't want to hear his love songs because that's illegal for me to enjoy. <laughs> 
And so I was in Camden Market, and it was like my first, it was my first week ever living in London. I'd moved from Canada. I don't know, have any of you guys ever moved continents or anything like that? Moved cities? Yes? Where did you come from? Uh, from, from the UK to Canada, and then back to the UK. So how long were you in Canada for? Uh, 14 years. 14 years. So how old were you when you moved there? So you're eight. So it's, it's a little different when you're a kid because you have your parents there to help you out a bit. But when you do it as an adult, it's similar to that. It takes a year. It takes a year for you to get used to it because you're just like, you don't know where things are. You don't know what things are called. And when you're an adult, it's really frustrating because there's things like you want to do. Like you're like, I'd like to go have a beer with friends. But you're like, I literally don't have any friends. <laughs> and not in a sad way. It's just a pra It would be weird if I just moved to London. There was a bunch of people. We heard you were coming. <laughs> shake my head like oh okay and so I needed to get a, a haircut and I know what I like and uh, I'm walking by and in Camden it was sort of the beginnings of it becoming gentrified and there was a this really fucking shishi um, sort of boutique -y kind of uh, hair salon I feel like you're not a hair salon guy I'm not a hair salon guy right. correct I don't like it I know what they do now they give you drinks when you're getting your hair cut which is disgusting I don't want my hair in a beat it's fucking gross right <laughs> Yeah? Some of you, some of you have gone, I can, like, are you frowning? Have you gotten a beverage served to you when? I like it though. Are you serious? <laughs> but you have long hair, like, don't you, when they're cutting it, doesn't it fall in the? Well, I really like, you literally, you're just waiting, you just have a glass of wine like a pilot, and then jump in the seat? I don't know why I think pilots have a glass of wine before they fly. Like, yeah? Yeah. I don't. Like, if it was in a sippy cup and sealed, I would be all right with that. But I just, like, it's just in hair in a drink, because then you drink it, and then you're just in the back, you... Uh, no. So they were walking around, and they were saying, free haircuts. Now, I think we covered at the top of the show, I'm a whore, and I have a price. And if something is free, I'll fucking go for it. So they said free haircuts. Now what I didn't learn is they were training a bunch of new stylists. So we got sat in a chair and I said to this, this, this woman, she was very nervous, which is not a good, you don't want a nervous pilot, you don't want a nervous bartender, you don't want a nervous barber. You want a stoic, heavy hand on the wheel. Where are we going? Hell, why? Because the devil got my fiddle. Like that's, <laughs> like you want, you want a straight ahead, logical thought. It's just, what are we drinking? Booze, why? Nighttime. Like, <laughs> where's this plane going? The sky and then landing. You better be with us. Like that's what I want. <laughs> what haircut am I having? The one that suits you. And if you don't like it, these scissors are going in your neck. And <laughs> that's what I wanted. Instead, I've got, I, got a, I got a shaky, nervous woman. Now I know she's from Essex, which is not a judgment on where she's from. I'm just saying that they do produce a certain type of person that is just sort of like, this is my job. I have it so I can afford a place in Rumford. And then I will get drunk seemingly only on trains between the hours of 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. every Friday and Saturday when John Hastings is trying to get to a gig <laughs> in Essex. And they are always stood but where seats are. And it's incredibly infuriating. It's just a problem I have. You guys don't, you don't take trains with the regularity I do around the United Kingdom. Listen, if you, it's a fucking disaster. Unless you're in the North, then everyone's train behavior is fucking beautiful. Even like football fans, I've like taken the state, gone by the station where the old Trafford is during a Man U game and they'll get on, they'll sing one song and then they'll all politely sit down and just neck tins <laughs> until they get to their station and stand up, sing one more song and get the fuck off the train. It's adorable. 
Liverpool, whatever. Yeah. Now, um, and so I sit down in the chair and she's shaking. And I go, here's what I want. Here's all I want. I want you to take the hair off. Same length, number four. That's it. And she goes, well, I have to sort of experiment and give you a style. And I went, listen, I have a giant, weirdly shaped head. Any hair you give me will look bad. And the only thing I can then do is wait for it to grow out. I need you to do this. And she went, let me just try. And then I'll, I'll shave it if you want. Okay. We go. I was there for an hour and a half as she tried to give me sort of a similar cut to you, sort of that like detective in the night kind of <laughs> Professor Quaff. It didn't work. It's too mangy and hard. It doesn't shift. You put product in it, it absorbs. <laughs> and she's in there just trying to get gel and mousse into my scalp. I remember like it started hurting at a point because I'm getting raw. And I finally just went, can you just cut this off? And she went, well, my day's done. I can go home now. And now I just have this shitty half haircut. She fucked up the line of my hair. So it was back there. But there was stubble here. Her teacher came over and went, what did you do? And I was like, can you shave this off? And he was like, no, we're closed. So I just had to leave. And I was poor. I just moved to London. So I just didn't have... I had that haircut for two months. The photographs of it. I look mentally deranged. Like, you, you know Travis Bickle in The Taxi Driver? When it gets that, that top, flat top? I look like that, but instead of it being a mohawk, it was the entire length of my head. Entire length of my head, like so. Shaved on the sides with this part gone. So this was just, it was... And I was meeting with agents and trying to get a career going here, just walking in being like, I am very funny. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that a bullet goes into the gun like tea goes into a coffee cup? Yeah, that was a weird way to end that chat. Um, uh, Kevin's wife, what is your name? Apologies. Joan. Joan? Beautiful name. And Joan, uh, what's the most daring haircut you've ever gotten? Good answer. Most daring haircut? Do you... You don't have haircuts? It just stays that length always? Are you serious? She has styling. She has styling. Good dig, Kevin. That was nice. Um, do you... Like, do you go to someone who cuts it, or you oh, just... Obviously. Okay, I don't know. Obviously. I, I, listen, the idea... Do you understand... Do, do you guys know how... The men in the room, do you know how much it costs for a woman to get her hair cut? Are you guys aware? It's, where the fuck are you going? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you go to a neighbor. See, that's the fucking scam you need. Because it's like... Yeah, yeah, but no, I assume it's not just a guy with some clippers. <laughs> just oiling him up. Come on in, John. We'll figure this out. Whoosh, whoosh. It's like 60 quid, yeah? Yeah, it is. Exactly. It's insane. Do you know how much... I am aware. How, look how shocked you were. You just shit glass. For me to get a haircut, I go to a Turkish guy at the end of my road. It's eight quid, and he gives me a coffee and a to-go cup at the end. Eight quid. I tip him two pounds and he looks at me like I just invented a cure for cancer. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right. How are we doing for time? Oh, very good. Uh, we are nearly at the end of our show. How we end the show is I tell a story uh, from my youth that is drawn from this little jar. Uh, who would like to read it? What about you, brother? Okay. All right. Just gra grab one. Don't read it yet. Very good. Now, Joan, how would you... What is your name, brother? Robin. Robin? Nice. Robin, how did you feel about the end of The Dark Knight Rises? Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a 
people or get hate on me right now. We're in a safe space. Yeah, go fucking nuts, brother. Uh, I think we're probably... Uh, the How the fuck does he get out? Thank you. Now, I'll explain. So, The End of the Dark Knight Rises is the third of the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, where Batman... Ha it was fucking five years ago. If you haven't seen it, tough titties. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he takes the nuclear bomb on an airplane, and he flies it out, and then it explodes. But he's like, oh, he ejected. And it's like, well, I know almost nothing about nuclear bombs, but I do know the blast radius is quite big, and a parachute will not survive it. <laughs> But my biggest grievance of the entire thing is at the end of it, there's a character played by Jordan Go uh, jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt who goes to like a social worker to get a paycheck or something like that. And he's like, oh, here you go. And then she goes, oh, you should use your first name. And he goes, oh, I don't know. And she goes, it's really nice. Have a good day, Robin. And basically like winks at the camera as if to get it. And I wanted to find Christopher Nolan and beat him to death with a chair. Because I... I love Batman. I do. I think it's the best comic book character ever. It's ridiculous. Batman's not someone who should be rooted for. He's a vindictive sociopath and definitely a corporate criminal. Whenever as he busted the windows of a bank and said, you created liquid mortgages that bankrupted this city that obviously is in economic turmoil. Instead, I guarantee if Gotham City was real, it would have a healthcare crisis, the likes of which the world had never seen, because every night hundreds of criminals are getting their collarbones broken by a mass man and then just dumped at a hospital. They don't have money to pay for it, so that would be a tax problem that is incomprehensible. I would like to see that DC comic of just the mayor of Gotham. We're bankrupt because a man in a cape keeps beating up people. Um, that, that's what bothered me in your name, Robin. So, uh, so, John, how would you like Robin to read that? In Italian? Oh, that would be good. In Italian. Italian. All right, so, an Italian accent, Robin. Italian accent. I'm a happy, like that. I'm a, I'm a, I mean, you know, I'm a, that's pretty good. <laughs> better, it's better than my Scottish, I'll tell you that much for free. Okay, okay. Here we go. <laughs> you speaking to the kids. Outside of Sean's work, your parents ever tell you not to talk to strangers. Ah, very good. This is a wicked story. Okay, so, um, that was very good. Yes, please round of applause for Robin. Uh, so as the same group of friends of Bob, Paul, all of them, uh, Paul is the guy who wrote all of these suggestions for uh, the end of the show story. Uh, after the show, uh, I'll be over there with a bucket. It's a suggested donation, and by suggested donation, I mean give me money. <laughs> and we're not talking coins, bills. <laughs> Ten would be appreciated. Five would be also great. Anything you want to give, totally appreciated. Now, uh, and it's good. Speaking of money, my friend Sean had a job. Now, when I was in university, I was a very fat person. I was 340 pounds at my biggest. I don't know what that is in stone. Good. I think it's like, it's 20-something stone. Like, it was, I was huge. And it was just a combination of it was in a new place. And also, I was cooking for myself for the first time, so I didn't know what portions were. And also, left to my own devices, and I would be like, I'm going to dip everything in mayonnaise, and that's just for breakfast. And... <laughs> And I had been on a hellish bus ride from Montreal to Ottawa, where all my friends were. It's a two-hour trip. It took like six hours. I was starving. My buddy Paul picked me up in his van. His parents owned a van, but he drove it everywhere. And there is something very creepy about a metalhead in a van. Like, you just look at him and be like, you're up to something. <laughs> and so we're sitting there, and I'm like, let's go get some food. I'm hungry. And just being that, like, end of a long trip, bitch. Some of you are visiting here. When you get home, you'll have that 40-minute window from when you get off the conveyance that got you to where you were living to your house. And if you don't have, like, food or a shower, you are inconsolable! 
and that and that's what I was. I was. I just wanted some food. I wanted some food desperately. And he's like, "Let's go pick up Sean first, and then we'll all go eat." And I was like, "No," because Sean is one of those people who he takes on the work that you give him, and he takes on all the work of the lazy people because he does that because he likes to play the victim of. Can you believe all these things they're making me do that I volunteered for? <laughs> And it's, it's a personality trait that I understand, but I also find very important because you cannot then be upset when people have done something that you agreed to do. If you don't want to do something, be open and honest. I'm sorry, I can't do that. People will be angry in the moment, but they will respect you for it later. Because if you're one of those people that goes, I will do it, and then spends four hours being like, I can't believe you're making me collate the data. That's not even my specific role here at a corporate. I don't know any of those terms. Anyway, so he worked at a comic book shop, and it was run by the guy from the comic book shop in The Simpsons, that exact guy. <laughs> comic book shops have lost that. They've now been embraced by people who love comics. Before, they were run by people who hated people <laughs> and figured this was a good place to hide. And he didn't like, Sean's a very personable guy. He's the only person I've ever seen get laid because he played the trumpet. I know that sounds very caustic and male and ridiculous, but literally, that's not a set. Not a sexy instrument. He wore a bowler hat every day of high school and didn't get bullied, which to this day astounds me. Anyway, so Sean, every time, every time you go to pick him up from work, he'd say, I'm done at six, and you would wait for 45 minutes while he would stay longer, just chatting, unaware he's wasting other people's time. We get there, he comes out and goes, I will be five minutes. I knew this was a lie. He went back in, and I saw him get then behind the cash and start working again. Just come meet us. We're going next door. We wait for an hour. I'm starving. I'm angry. Sean comes out to say it'll be five more minutes. Now, what I did in this moment, I did to make Paul laugh. It was very mean. I'm sitting in the back. Someone else was in the passenger seat. I don't remember who it was. I opened the sliding door of the van. Two kids, 11, 12 years old, walk by. And I go, hey kids, do your, did your parents ever tell you not to talk to strangers? And they went, yeah. And I went, yeah, that's, don't talk to him. And then I clapped twice and went, he touches kids. Slammed the door and said, Paul, drive, 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 drive. <laughs> Paul didn't. We just sat there as these two kids looked at the van, looked at Sean and went, is that true? And Sean went, no. And then they went, all right, let's buy comics. The show ends always in a weird moment. Uh, I thank you for your time. I'll see you at the back. Have a great French. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>